really excited about our study on daring to draw near. And uh, focusing on answered prayer for the last uh, several months has uh, truly, truly been life-changing for me, and I want to make it so for you as well. The uh, hope you're ready. I'm ready to hear a little more from the audience today, a few more amens out there. Come on, guys, it's a little warm in here, so you need to work with me, okay? This isn't a spectator service. We're here to have our lives changed by the preaching of God's Word and just be spurred on by one another. And so, well, thank you for giving here. I appreciate it. But we are going to take it up a notch this morning. And what I'm going to share with you about this morning I have of convictions about. The title of the message is, Go Claim Your Miracle. Go Claim Your Miracle. So great to see uh, Del Boyd here this morning. And as I was walking back to get mic'd up, I saw Dale and Annie and realized I'm literally walking past a miracle. And uh, perhaps we'll have to hear their testimony at some point, but he, he, uh, he had a uh, triple bypass, was it? I think triple? Uh, triple bypass surgery after being told by the doctors they could do nothing further for him. And uh, truly a miracle among us, and it's so great to see them here this morning. But I want to talk this morning about you. If you could ask God for one miracle right now in your life, and know for a hundred percent certainty that God would grant your request, what would you ask for? I mean, really, what would you ask for as you brought your request to God? Would you ask for your job situation to radically change? On behalf of the whole congregation, I want to apologize to Mike for his demotion, but we kept praying, brother, and I'm sorry, but not really. We're glad you're here. Would it be perhaps to ask God to put your marriage back together to the joys of its youth? I know some of you would be pleading for a straying son or daughter to come back to Christ. I hope all of us somewhere in those miracle prayers would be praying to be fruitful this year. To see a co-worker, to see a neighbor come to Christ. I just want to really make the appeal. You know, God answers prayers that we put our feet into. And uh, for the married ministry, I hope you really, really are being troubled about who you want to invite to the marriage enrichment weekend in just over a month. But I really wonder, you know, what we would pray for. Maybe we would pray to regain health 
in our body, in our finances, in our spiritual life. Here's my real question, though, this morning. Whatever you might request before the throne of God, my question is, do you pray for it consistently? Even daily? I mean, are you really claiming your miracle? Bringing it to God in prayer, trusting wholeheartedly that he is going to intervene in your situation to grant that request. You know, if not, then it really begs the question, my friends, why not? I mean, really, why not? Over the course of my years in ministry, i just got to tell you, I've run into far too many people whose God is way too small. You know, maybe even the title of the sermon tweaks you a little bit. Go, go claim my miracle. Man, I'm telling you, your God is way too small, some of you. Too many who think, this is never going to happen. So why even pray about it? Or I'm just not even worthy to receive what I would like to ask for, so I'm not even going to try. Most of us would, we, would admit that we don't consistently or boldly go before the throne of God with our desperate needs. And this morning, I really want to address the heart of why. Why is it so difficult to go to God with bold request? And I pray that at the end of this message, you're going to be asking that question and rebuking yourself, why? You know, I used to uh, make excuses for my faint-hearted prayer life. A little hard to admit as a minister that your prayer life isn't exemplary. But you know, I uh, used to make excuses that you guys probably make. I have so much to do, there is no way I have time right now to really pray properly. Sound familiar? Or how about this will never happen. It may have happened then, but it's not going to happen in this day and age. So, you know, God just doesn't answer prayers the way he did in the Bible. Or maybe you're a little more spiritual, but just really considerate of how busy God is. And, and your excuse in the back of your mind is, well, God is just way, 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 way too busy to be concerned about my needs. Or the biggest one of all, prayer just doesn't come natural for me. Unless you've been living in a cave, or this is your first or second service here this Sunday, 
you're probably aware that I've been undergoing a major spiritual remodeling in my world. It started with a a cancer diagnosis three years ago, and I can very sincerely say that I'm almost to the point now where I'm not even praying for God to remove the cancer because the good of what has happened since the cancer came is so much greater than maybe even considering a life without cancer. And I sincerely can say that to you. And I see my prayers are are changing even in that realm. Not that I want the cancer to stay, but I just don't petition God fervently for it to be removed. My prayers have gone on to so much other things. And if God used me in 2017 to convince me of anything, it's that I was simply not being honest with myself. The real reason my prayer life has been weak is that my faith was weak. And I got a real hunch that there's probably no greater acid test in our spiritual life. And if you remember nothing else I share here when you leave here today, remember this. If you really want to know profoundly how you're doing spiritually at any given time in your life, just examine the real quality and sincerity of your prayer life. You know, you can kind of fake it in the world. You can fake it in the fellowship. You can even fake it with your spouse. But who fakes it enough that they just say, well, I got to go pray right now because I know it's the right thing to do and I'm just going to fake it. I mean, truly, if you're a man or woman of faith, your prayer life is on fire. If your prayer life is flickering, then the real issue is your faith is weak. And I'm going to work with you on that this morning. Help me help you get where you need to be because, hey, we've certainly had a lot of lessons on prayer. We've had some pretty powerful testimonials. I don't want to have to show up in your kitchen and let Texas fall on you. Besides, we've got to go to Amazon this week, Connie and I, up in Seattle to meet with them. But, but that was a joke. I'm not sure I want them to come, by the way. But, but I'm just telling you, help me help you just stop listening and start acting and become change in this area of your life. And this is where it really, really starts to get excited. You see, if you're going to grow in your faith in prayer, there are two deep convictions that we've got to develop to have a powerful prayer life. One is that God is able. And secondly, and as excitingly, that God is willing. Let's talk about God is able. You know, God doesn't spend a lot of time telling us that he is able to do whatever we request. But I got to tell you, When he does, in Scripture, it's truly unforgettable. I mean, those Scriptures have just stayed with me 
from my youngest days as a disciple. And there's scriptures like when the angel appears to a Sarah in her 90s and tells her after all these decades, God is going to be faithful to his promise of an offspring. She goes back into the tent laughing. The angel actually rebukes her. Man, help us get you where you need to be so you don't get rebuked by an angel. I hope it doesn't come to that. But the angel rebukes her in Genesis 18 with this rather haunting question. Genesis 18 verse 14, is anything too difficult for the Lord? Boy, you memorized that one. When you have moments of doubt, just call on it, claim it. Hey, is anything that you want to bring before the throne of God, that wandering child, that problematic marriage that just seems so broken beyond repair, you know, that, that promotion that you need so you can devote more time to God's people and less time to work, you know, is, is anything really too difficult for God? Jeremiah 32, 27. He says, I am the Lord, the God of all mankind. Is anything too hard for me? God is able. Jesus. Jesus turns to his disciples in Luke 18 on one occasion when they're grumbling. And he replies, hey, what is impossible with man is possible with God. I got to tell you, it's starting to get good now. Because now we're getting out of the safe little prayers. Bless us, O Lord, and these I gifts which we are about to receive. And we're moving over now into powerful land. Pillar Christian land. You know, a computer program concluded that there are over 30,000, 30,000 promises in the Bible, all of which, I will tell you, are as good as gold. 2 Corinthians 1 verse 20 says, for no matter how many promises God has made, and we just have 30,000 recorded They are yes, yes, if you're in Christ. And I think I'm looking out at some people who are in Christ, am I not? They're yes, yes in Christ. And so through him, the amen is spoken. So be it, amen, by us to the glory of God. So how do you deepen your convictions that we clearly see God is saying, he's able. He's able. Do you believe he's able? Well, I embarked over weeks of Bible study over some of the ways that God could convince me that he was able. And I looked simply at things like, first of all, God's Power over nature. I love science. 
And I was a science major for my first two years at university until I discovered that uh, I was going to have to really pass physics. <laughs> Didn't like math, but I loved science. And when I thought about God's power over nature, I first looked at passages that demonstrated it, and I thought about some of these. Exodus 14 and Joshua 3. Both passages prove that when God decided certain seas, he parted them. Let that sink in. Exodus 16 and John 6 prove that when people were hungry, he did an airdrop each morning from heaven. Sustaining over a million people, scholars believe, in the desert with angel food, manna in the morning. Even Jesus multiplied a loaf and a fish. Mark 4 says that when a storm broke out, and we might just wait, we have some storms coming up here for you that aren't going to be like anything you saw in Orange County. <laughs> Next time you get up here, you won't be talking about the temperature. You're going to be talking about the storms in the spring. And when one of those storms broke out, endangering the lives of his disciples, Jesus just simply stood up from his sound nap and said, be still. That's the God that you get to pray to. I think about probably the most explosive one to me. I mean, this one now gets really big because it involves the universe. And I think about Joshua 10. Joshua 10 assures us that when Israel's troops needed more time to consolidate their gains, he even extended daylight savings. The first time and the only time he extended the length of the day. Now you let that sink in and you say, really, really, you think God is not able to bring your wandering child back to Christ as hard-hearted as they might seem right now? Really? You don't think the fields are white? into harvest right now that God could, if you just opened your mouth and spoke to your neighbors, you might find someone whose marriage could really stand a tune-up and bring them out and expose them to what we have here in this rich fellowship next month. I mean, think about the things we're going to God for and think about what these guys were going to God for. And so I could go on and on, but when I see God's power over nature, I have to say, okay, i got to take it up a notch in my prayer life. I think about God's power over circumstances, impossible circumstances. I won't even take time to go into it, but how do you get an Ethiopian eunuch and Philip, who could be as much as 800 miles apart, together in an instant to make a convert. Because someone was searching, and he couldn't study himself into the truth, and somebody else had the truth, and God said, okay, I hear the prayer, let's get these guys together. You say, can that really happen? I say, how do you explain the very hour the Messinas were praying, we, 1,500 miles away, end up in their kitchen? 
And I say, well, you have not because you ask not. You can read Acts chapter 12. I went over passages like Acts 12 and Peter's miraculous escape from prison, being shackled to the very Roman guard who was guarding him. i got to move on. I moved on and looked at God's power over the human heart, and i got to tell you, that was perhaps the most faith-building because I know God created the universe, but can he really change an independent free will heart at his beckoning desire? And I think about how a timid Moses, a broken Moses, went on to lead over a million Israelites out of slavery and right out the front door of the most powerful empire on the planet. How do you explain that? Or how do you explain that he softened the cruel heart of that Pharaoh? To not only did they leave, but he said, take whatever you want, and they plundered the Egyptians. People were throwing their gold and their possessions at them and said, just leave. Here, you can have this if you'll go quickly. How do you explain that? Or how do you explain that a depressed, a depressed Elijah, who probably needed to go see a Mike Messina, who's a psychologist, by the way, this Elijah in one visit from the Lord, gets talked out of quitting, gets re-strengthened, and goes on to perform powerful miracles. Or a zealous persecutor like Saul turns into a global trotting apostle. I could go on and on, but I'm just trying to help you understand the reason your faith might be so weak is because you can't just pray. you got to get into the Word of God. You've got to feed yourself so that it can propel your faith to allow you to go and ask God for the things in life He wants to give you. You're going to hear a fire alarm. That's for our children's practice. And also because this sermon's getting hotter. (laughs) Finally, to believe God is able, I realized that I had to believe that God does not change. Cool word. He's immutable. Immutable. It's a word. I know I make a lot up. I didn't make that one up. Immutable. The doctrine of God's immutability is firmly established by biblical passages. Malachi 3, 6 says, I, the Lord, do not change. Hebrews 13, 8 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. God has not changed. God is not growing old. He is not heading towards retirement out at Possum Kingdom Lake. He's not, he's not waning in his power. Isaiah 40, verse 28, ask, do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is an everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary. 
If he was able to control nature, change people and circumstances, impossible circumstances, and remains the same, don't you think that he's ready to work in the life of disciples today? Why do you think that he has sent angelic beings, as we looked at last fall, spiritual beings to serve those who will inherit this earth and the kingdom of God? Why would we not pray bold prayers if we know God is able? Well, it's probably because we're not thinking God is willing. And that's the second thing that I believe is essential. You know, when you know that God is able, and it really becomes deep in your heart a conviction that he wants to answer our prayers, he's willing, then you go from being a faint-hearted prayer, prayer to an outright prayer warrior. Most fathers, even ones that aren't that good, most fathers want to be generous towards their children, I've learned in life. If nothing else, even the bad fathers want to be generous because they feel guilty for not spending time. Jesus underscores this in a profound passage that you really need to lock into in your heart. It's in Matthew 7 and verse 9 as he pointed to examples of fathers to explain God's generosity to us when he says, hey, which of you, yeah, even you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will you ask, or will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Do you see the picture Jesus is really painting here? Good fathers want to give good gifts to children. And your heavenly father who is really, really good, really can't wait to give good gifts to his children either. In Romans chapter 8, we see an amazing verse in verse 16, one of many like this. And it says, the spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. God has made us heirs as adopted sons and daughters in Christ. Jesus himself taught us to call God Father. The most repeated prayer in the Christian church is 
the Lord's Prayer, which begins with the words, Our Father. That word in Aramaic means Papa or Daddy. It's a very endearing term for a close relationship with a child and their father. You see, what I'm trying to get you to understand is God loves to hear from us. My wife gets a lot of calls in the day. Sometimes she's in a counseling appointment or doing something and she can't take the call. But she, I'll let you in on a little secret, she has set her cell phone up so that if it's one of our children calling, it rings completely different. And I see her when, when that phone rings and she'll interrupt what she's doing, she'll even apologize to the person she may be studying the Bible with, and she says, I'm sorry, it's my son or it's my daughter, I need to take this. Excuse me for a moment. Do you realize that when you send your prayers up to heaven, God has set his cell phone so there's a ringer? I don't know what tune is playing. That's going to be real interesting to find out. It would be a lot of fun some midweek, regional midweek. I just had an idea for a midweek. We can go around and we can share with each other in a fellowship, Devo, what we think their song would be based on what we know about them. But, but I'm telling you, those calls get through to Connie, and those calls get through to your father. Put up the first picture, if you would, Christy. About three nights ago, maybe four nights ago now, when it was down in the teens, I have a deer feeder I set up off my back fence line. And I, uh, especially when it's cold, put uh, the corn in the deer feeder. And to our amazement, I think it was Tuesday night of this past week, we look out the window right before it got dark, and one by one it looked like a scene out of Bambi that the deers just started coming out of the woods. By the time they were done, before it got dark, we had counted, and you can count them in this picture, 13 deer. God feeds them. God takes care of them. He says in Psalms 50, the cattle on a thousand hills belongs to him. He makes Perot look like a poor man in Texas. I put corn out. I love the deer. Someone who's a hunter says, oh, you don't need to give them corn. It's too much carbohydrates. Feed them this stuff. Listen, you look at those empty mouths there and you say, you feed them that stuff. That cost me a fortune. This, on the other hand, this, on the other hand, is my crown. And you are God's crown of creation. And so if she comes to Texas, my little granddaughter, dude, she's going to get bluebell ice cream. <laughs> Nothing finer. And in fact, 
She's going to get as much or whatever flavors she wants. And I'm just telling you, I'm just trying to help you to see that's, that's clearly how God views us. It's like, you know, we don't have to somehow find the secret formula, the magic key, the right combination, or, or just behave the exact right way. We, we just need to put that face up when we pray. And dude, the bluebell is just going to start coming, I'm telling you. And, and Jesus, you can, you can take this slide off now. I think some people want ice cream. But I, I'm just trying to tell you, you know, it's, it's, the Bible teaches we serve a God who is actually, actually looking for opportunities to... It's as if God were saying, what good are my resources if I don't have anyone to share them with? Just give me a reasonable amount of cooperation, and I'll pour my blessings out on you. As I close out our thoughts, in Matthew 21, verse 22, Jesus says this. In the morning as Jesus was returning to Jerusalem, he was hungry. And he noticed a fig tree beside the road, and he went to see if there were any figs, but there were. May you never bear fruit again. And immediately the fig tree withered up. The disciples were amazed when they saw this and asked, How did the fig tree weather so quickly? Then Jesus told them, I tell you the truth. There's that phrase again when he's about to drop a whopper on us. I tell you the truth, if you have faith and don't doubt, you can do things like this and much more. You can even say to this mountain, may you be lifted up and thrown into the sea and it will happen. You can pray for anything. And if you have faith, you will receive it. Jesus says, God is still working. God has not retired. He's not getting old. And he's still available. And you have a special ringer on your prayer phone. Just like the ringer that James 5 reminds us that someone else had when it says in verse 16, the earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. Elijah was a human as we are. Let me read that again. Elijah was as human as we are And yet when he prayed earnestly that it would not, no rain would fall, none fell for three and a half years. Then he prayed again, the sky sent down rain, and the earth began to yield its crops. There's no difference 
between the God of Elijah and your God. Same God. Same heart. Same view towards his creation. There's no difference, and this is going to really shock you, between Elijah and you. The Bible makes it clear he was a man just like us. You say, well, God worked so much more earnestly in his life, powerfully in his life. Yeah, because Elijah prayed a lot more earnestly than you and I pray, and a lot more boldly than you and I pray. That's pretty clear. And so I conclude with these thoughts. There's no greater test to your faith right now than your prayer life. Nowhere will your sincerity be more tested than how it reflects in the devotion or lack of it that you give to prayer. We can hear all these lessons, but it's time to be a doer of the word. Kit Cummins, who's one of the most powerful brothers I know in our family of churches, who has gone on and done incredible things in prison ministry, wrote a book that I read through called 40 Days of Prayer about how to claim a miracle in my closing. And so the first thing he says to do if you want to claim a miracle is, number one, write out your impossible prayer list And post it prominently where you can see it each day. On the wall in your office, beside your computer, on your phone when it comes up, somewhere where you're going to see it prominently. And there's something about actually writing out what your miracle list of prayer is. And it may be one, two, three things, but write it out. Number two... He says, pray for these things daily, even hourly when needed. What that means is you might be trying to be fruitful this year, and you might be walking into a target-rich environment to share your faith. You're probably going to want to at least be praying frequently then, but at the very least, pray daily. Number three, he says, take measurable steps towards your miracle throughout the week. I mean, somewhere you got to put your feet into it. Lord, help my child to come back to Christ. Well, maybe you need to initiate a vacation with them. Maybe you need to initiate a dinner with them if they're in town. Maybe you need to find a way to serve them. Maybe you just need to start calling them every other day or frequently, at least once a week or twice a week. Something different than what you're doing now, but take measurable steps. God blesses people who are on the move by faith. Number four, watch and record miracle sightings. Man, what that does is that just gets your faith steaming zealously, 
And I know when Dale and Annie, when Dale was about to have his surgery, I mean, he had so many prayer warriors surrounding the throne of God's grace because when we got word, a doctor said, I can do open heart surgery. Another doctor said this. They got this information. We just started doubling up our prayers, tripling up our prayers, and God did the rest. But he was surrounded by angels because we were praying. And then finally, number five, Kit says, Deal with your doubts, your excuses, and your complaints diligently and faithfully and choose gratitude instead. Five-point miracle prayer pledge that he says is guaranteed to give results, and he certainly has the life and the testimonies to back it up. You see, God is able God is willing. It's in his nature. It's who he is. A giving God. A blessing God. An encouraging God. A nurturing God. An empowering God. And certainly, a loving God. That's the God who waits eagerly for his phone to ring. Let us go before his throne now as we prepare to rededicate our commitment to him in communion.